Amen. Hey, let's pray together and we'll get right into it. Oh, Lord, we love you. And Jesus, we recognize you as the shepherd and bishop of our souls. And we need shepherding today. We need bishoping. So, Lord, please come bishop us and shepherd us. And we do acknowledge you, Jesus, truly as head of the church. You are uh, the, you're the head. We're, we're the body. So, Jesus, please just come be the head that you are. Rule us, reign over us. We say yes to your reign. Where the whole world is bucking your reign, we say, oh God, we get under you and under your scepter and your authority this morning, gladly, because you're such a good king. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know you saw that cute picture of JD up there earlier. You know, he, uh, he's cute. <laughs> but a few days ago, we had a little discipline thing going on. J.D. is now four years old and has incredible power to push his little sister over. And so this happened in the kitchen, and of course, I scooped him up really quickly and uh, did what I do and kind of what we do in our family as far as our kind of little discipline procedure. And um, as we were coming out of it, you know, he was actually having a hard time recovering, and it might have had to do with the fact that I didn't do it that well. You know, honestly, in the discipline thing, Kelsey does it well like 99.9% of the time. When I mean well, I mean, you know, you just deal with the infraction. We give our consequence, and then it's, hey, we're restored, move on, you know. But uh, because I reacted in, in some anger, you know, watching Hannah flailing on the floor, uh, <laughs> it swooped up JD, brought him right into the discipline stance. Um, as, as we were processing, he was, he was having, as I said, a hard time recovering. And, you know, with just the biggest little uh, lower lip pout, you know, his, the frown was sticking out as far as it could go. I said, well, JD, what's wrong? You know, I'm not mad at you. You're, we're restored. We're good. You know, we've had the consequence, move on. And J.D. says, but Daddy, I'm mad at myself. And I mean, come on, right? I was like, ugh. And the first thing that went through my heart was, oh, no. I just don't want him to deal with the same level of kind of self-hatred or self-loathing issues that I have, you know. I'm on a journey. God's good. He's healing. He's, he's doing great things. But I thought, oh, gosh, I hope at four years old I haven't projected that onto him already. But then the second thought was, But such is the human condition, is it not? We live in a fallen world, and we're very aware of of our imperfections. There's a great website out there called postsecret.com, and it is uh, touted as a community art project, where what you do is you send in, just on a postcard, a confession. You know, here's what I did wrong. I I hit my two-year-old sister, you know, (laughs) Um, if J.D. could write that out. But um, you send in the postcard, obviously it's anonymous, all that there is is, you know, wherever you mail it from, that's the only evidence there, but, and people kind of add artful things to it. But can I just read, I just accessed the site last night, let me, let me tell you some of the secrets that people are putting on postcards, sending them in to this address in Maryland. One was this, I betrayed one of my employers. Wow. Another one was, I chaired a closed AA meeting for five weeks and I'm not even an alcoholic. Okay. <laughs> now here's a zinger. I'm getting in shape for my future affair. I am getting in shape for my future affair. Another one. I steal small things from houses I'm invited to and I keep them in a mason jar. Ooh, okay. Guess who's not house sitting at our house? It's anonymous. Another one, next one is, I almost did this, and the picture on the postcard was the picture of an armed robbery in progress. 
I wish, another one, I wish there was a nice way to tell this person to go and die. This one, a picture of an ultrasound on the postcard and this written on it. I get angry at every mother who does not love her children as I would love mine if I could have them. On the internet, I live a secret life. How about this one? My mom is always losing her keys, and it's because I'm hiding them. (laughs) True confessions. And lastly, this is a little bit of a creeper. I steal other people's pictures from my job at the photo lab. (laughs) Okay. True confessions. What would your postcard read? If you, you know, maybe we should just right now hand out some postcards. We're all sending them to postseek.com. What would yours read, right? What's your post secret? What would you write on there as a true confession? So, of course, the reality is we all have things that we're terribly ashamed of. And, but what we've been singing about today are this wonderful, incredible truth of the gospel. This theological truth is that, uh, as Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians, Paul was um, a church planter. Uh, after Jesus' life, and he's written a large portion of the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome truth? I mean, that's the gospel, right? We get forgiveness. We get to exchange our sin for Christ's forgiveness. That is an awesome truth. Yes, that is an Amen. Now, the reality is, though, emotionally, when you and I sin as followers of Jesus, sometimes that truth just feels like a faraway reality not applicable to my situation. Our Hebrews 4 says this. I love this. Hebrews 4, it's talking about Jesus, the high priest. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. We can find grace and mercy in our time of need. But sometimes we're in the, when you're in the shock or the trauma of your own sin, the question is, how do I do that? How do I get back into God's presence? How do I approach the throne of grace? And as we're going through this Heart Healthy series, trying to learn how to use the Psalms to kind of grease the wheels to get us into God's presence, there's no better Psalm than Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a great go-to, right? If you're the guilty one, go to Psalm 51, all right? If you're the guilty one, go straight, do not pass go, go straight to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's own confession. David was a king of Israel and given great authority and power and splendor in in his kingdom, but uh, he blew it. And um, uh, in one of the historical books of the Bible in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 11, we hear the story and the opening uh, sentence to chapter 11 of 2 Samuel just rings in my ears. You know what it is? It's in the springtime when kings go to war. Where was David? Was he with his army doing what he's supposed to do? In? Doing what he was supposed to be doing? He was not. He was chilling at home. And chilling at home, he sees the hot tub, the neighbor, you know, across the fence. He digs Bathsheba. And he arranges things so that he gets Bathsheba in his power and uh, has her commit adultery, and then to cover it up, he has his, her husband, excuse me, Uriah, killed. So adultery, and then murder cover-up. This is David, the king of Israel, who loves God. 
We who love God are capable of great sin, aren't we? And so what we have in Psalm 51 is we have David pouring out his heart. And what I want to, I'm going to take a little poetic license today. And I've kind of rearranged Psalm 51 into some major categories because I think that God in his mercy, he wants us to come back to him. We just sang it, right? We said running into your arms or running to your presence. God would rather us run into his presence, just like when I think of my own son, J.D. I don't want him to hide from me when he sins. I want him to come to me, us deal with it, and then restore to move on. So he can be free from shame, right? Shame is the, I feel bad about who I am. Guilt is, I feel bad about what I've done. Guilt is a good thing when it drives us into God's presence. It's the shame piece that we're getting free from also, because you don't have to feel bad about who you are. We, we need to repent of the things we do that aren't in line. So let's go through Psalm 51. And again, if you follow along on the peach insert, because that'll kind of help you keep in line with where we're headed. But I believe that God is aware of four emotional desires or four emotional needs that we have as we get back into his presence. And I'll say this to start. I guess I've, I've uh, on the peach sheet, I'm calling it the situation. My assumption is here that when we start this is that you're where David was as he states uh, where he is in verses 3 and 4. Okay, so here's the situation. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Right? In other words, I know what I've done. I'm aware of the fact that I've blown it. It's, and it's actually, I'm so aware of it, it's with me all the time. Right? David, who had eliminated Uriah to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba, he was very aware of his sin, especially as the prophet named Nathan came to him and said, Hey, buddy, you blew it. And David, unlike Saul, his predecessor, David had sorrow over his sin. He had godly sorrow. Again, this is you. This is the situation. I assume you're here when we look at Psalm 51. And you recognize, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Again, David just saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. Now, of course, David had sinned not only against God. Of course, he'd sinned against Bathsheba. Of course, he'd sinned against uh, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. But in saying that, David is recognizing, and, and God, my sin is not hidden from you. You know it. You, 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 <laughs> you see me. Uncle, you know, you win. And that's kind of what he's saying there. It's God, against you I've sinned, and I recognize that. Okay, so four things that God's wanted to do is he restores us. Again, we use Psalm 51 to grease the wheels after the shock and trauma, maybe of our own sin. Here's, here's how God does it. And again, I've taken some license, some liberty here to group things according to some, some themes. The first one is forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness. The first thing you need to know is that God is willing to remove your sin. He is willing for your sin not to count against you. All right? So for that, I've cited verses 1, 9, and 14. So let's look at those. Verse 1. have mercy on me, O God. Or maybe your translation says, be gracious to me, please. God, have mercy. According, not to what I've done, but according to your steadfast love. That very word that Brian talked about last week, God's has said, this Hebrew word of loving kindness or commitment love. God, please don't deal with me according to my deeds or I'm toast. But God, please deal with me according to your unfailing love. And according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. That blot out, it's just like a register. Imagine your name written in a book, and here's a list of your sins, and just take that heavenly eraser, won't you, God? Please take that big pink eraser and just blot that out. And in nine, 
Hide your face from my sins. Again, the same image, blot out all my iniquities. Please, God, look the other way. And in 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. Okay, in the Hebrew culture, there is a total concept of justice here that David was guilty for having Uriah killed. Although he didn't uh, pull the trigger, so to speak, he put Uriah in a situation by word through commanders to put him in a bad spot. And so David was aware that he's guilty of that. There's blood on his hands. God, deliver me from that. God, my salvation. Then my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, uh, looking at, a, at another spot. Okay? So the first thing is forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. Your first need is just knowing, God, please get, get this away from me. I'm, I want to be, don't look at my sin anymore. Okay. Then the second thing, though, it goes a little deeper. It's cleansing. All right, everyone say cleansing. All right, our sin does affect us. Our sin hurts us, all right? If you read uh, 2 Samuel 12, um, where Nathan is saying, hey, David, because you did this, man, it's a, it's a rough list. Of course, David is, is received back into good favor with God, but not without first the child that he bore with Bathsheba. That child will die, okay? I know it's hard to fit that through all of our theological and justice meters, but there's a penalty. And equally as disturbing, you know, Nathan says, hey, David, there's going to be corruption from within your own house. You know, part of this deal is from within your own family will come rebellion. And for those of you who know the story of David, David will end up kind of going toe-to-toe with his own son and in a fight for the kingdom. So it's a sad moment. But God really is willing to cleanse us. Like he's willing to cleanse and he's willing to heal and he's willing to cleanse us from the bad effects of our sin. Listen to David's cry here in verses 2 and 7 and 10. Verse 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Right? I need a washing. Forgiveness is one thing, but I also in my heart, my mind, in my will, where I've been filthy or whatever I've done, if I've offended someone, I need to be cleansed. God, clean me. And of course, who's the only one who can do it? It's God himself. Further in verse 7, this is great. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That word purge, it actually is really similar to the word sin. So the implication there is, is, um, is do it in a substitutionary way. It really is looking forward to Jesus saying, God, take my sin upon you. You know, God, you take my sin. And the hyssop was a plant and was used in a lot of the ceremonial uh, uh, cleansings in the Jewish temple system. Where, for example, when, when, uh, if you remember the history of Israel, the Passover, when they were getting delivered from Egypt, what God had people do is take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood of the lamb that they had sacrificed, and then it was, they used hyssop to put the blood of the lamb on the, the lintel and the doorpost there. So that as the angel of death came through Egypt, you would pass over the people with that on, on their uh, door. But that hyssop, and then in other places in the, in the Hebrew ritual, it was just what they used to cleanse. So here David is making appeal to this liturgical, ceremonial process. Please, God, you be the one who purges me. Heal me and cleanse me with this hyssop. If you do it, I'll be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. It's that imagery of, of purity. And then in, in verse 10, and this is really the miracle. We were just singing it a little bit earlier. And that is, created me. A clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
God, you create in me a clean heart. I, you know what I love about this is I feel like that's the place where we go, uncle, and we say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need the same creative miracle that put the planets in space, you know, that <laughs> put life in the nostrils of animals and humans. That same creative power is actually what I need right now, God, because I'm so aware of my depravity. I'm so aware of how I'm bent towards sin. I need a miracle here, God. I need you to create in me a clean heart. It's the exact same word that's used in Genesis for creating. Please create in me a clean heart. Now, man, if there was ever a people who were really aware of their need for God, and they get a bad rap, and I'm, I'm sorry for some of the ways our history classes may have colored us the wrong way, but the Puritans, man, they really thought on this. They thought a lot, they wrote about, and they prayed about their need for God and their desperate need for God to create in them a clean heart. You know, last week, Brian was extolling the virtues of his wife, Jade, and among other virtues, Jade is also a gift giver. And Jade gave our family a book called The Valley of Vision. The Valley of Vision is edited by a man named Arthur Bennett, and he collected a lot of these prayers from the Puritan era. I want to share one with you. And um, just to, to let you in on um, just kind of the depth of thought and the reflection on, man, we need God. You know, kind of just expanding on this thought of, God, I need you to create in me a clean heart. There's a whole book full of these things. So let me just give you one. This one's called Purification. Lord Jesus, I sin. Uncle, you're right, God, I'm wrong. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never think I can reach a point of perfection. And Lord, help me. Here's going to get specific. Kill my envy. Command my tongue. Trample down self. Give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, pure, peaceable. To live for thee and not for self. To copy thy words, act, and spirit. To be transformed into thy likeness. To be consecrated wholly to thee. To live entirely to thy glory. Deliver me from attachment to things unclean. Man, that that probably hits. That's great right there. A lot of our psychology right there. We get attached to things that are unclean. Deliver me from wrong associations from the predominance of evil passions, from the sugar of sin, as well as its gall, that with self-loathing, deep contrition, earnest heart-searching, I may come to thee, cast myself on thee, trust in thee, cry to thee, and be delivered by thee. O God, the eternal all, help me to know that all things are shadows, but thou art substance. All things are quicksand, but thou art mountain. All things are shifting, but thou art anchor. All things are ignorance, but thou art wisdom. So if my life is to be a crucible amid burning heat, so be it. But do thou sit at the furnace mouth to watch the ore that nothing be lost, right? God, if you're going to put me through this fire, do it. But please, you know, let the substance of who I am remain. And if I sin willfully, grievously, tormentedly, in grace, please take away my mourning. Give me music, remove my sackcloth, and clothe me with beauty. Still my sighs and fill my mouth with song, but give, then give me summer weather, you know, 
Give me joy as a Christian. Man, where Psalm 51 sometimes gets old to me, sadly, I'm just telling you I sin a lot. So where Psalm 51 gets old, sometimes I go to these, and these have the same effect for me as Psalm 51 does. And it's so good. Now, again, you might not agree with every theological bent or whatever, you know, might be too much of a downer for you, but I'm telling you, these guys got after it as far as wanting to be transformed and wanting to deliberately eradicate sin from our lives by his grace, with his help, and for his good pleasure. Amen? So God wants to forgive you. He's giving you this on-ramp back to his presence in Psalm 51 with forgiveness and also by cleansing. He wants to wash away the bad effects of sin. The next thing he gives us is wisdom. Okay, everyone say wisdom. Right? Because, again, if, I, if J.D. pushes his sister down, we have a discipline time, and then he keeps doing it, somehow there hasn't been a learning process in there, right? <laughs> but I, I think of my own self, and I think of the times that, that, how many millions of times God is trying to get certain things in my head as well. He wants wisdom in our hearts so we can learn from the experience and not do it again. Amen? All right, so how does he do this? Let's look at these verses here. How is God after wisdom in us? Let's see. Okay, so verses 5 and 6 and 16 and 17. Let's look at uh, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, this might feel like a downer. David is not trying to say that like he was born out of an illicit marriage or born out of an affair. He's just saying, from conception, I am born into sin. We, we live in a fallen world, and the fall is with us right in our genetic code, and right as conception happens. We, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are made in the image of God. We're incredibly beautiful. But yet the stain of sin is in us right from the get-go. Adam's, Adam's um, fall touches us right from the beginning. And verse 6. So this is wisdom. It's good to know this. You know, it's like, hey, this helps. You know, it's not just like, hey, the devil made me do it. But it's helpful to know that uh, <laughs> we got one leg down as we go into this thing. <clears throat> verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So this is a good reframe, right? When you're kind of coming back into God's presence, a good reframe is, God, this is what you're after. I know what you're trying to do in me. You're trying to put truth in my inner self, and you're trying to put wisdom in my inner self, the kind of wisdom that will restrain and refrain from sin in the future. He wants to put that wisdom. He, with joy, he's giving you that wisdom so that we changed so we're transformed man proverbs i'll tell you proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 this little group of passages in proverbs 5 6, 7 they are full of this wisdom let me see if i can pull out a few zingers uh, from proverbs uh, and this is the kind of wisdom that god's trying to impart to us <clears throat> along these lines and we'll just let's see should i choose a good one here Yeah, I'll just do this one because this one's so good. All right, so this is Proverbs 6. And this is just uh, the image here is not being seduced by uh, an adulteress, by, by a prostitute. Don't be seduced. I know the language is in one direction, but this applies to all of us all the time. And the wisdom here is, uh, this is Proverbs 6, 25 to oh, 28. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes because the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. Or as my NIV version translate it, translates, it says, you'll be reduced to a loaf of bread. In other words, when you give yourself away to sin, you, you give away your strength 
You give away who you are. You give, away your, you give away the glory that God's given you as a person. And you're reduced to a loaf of bread. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched, right? You can't mess around. You can't go all the way up to the line of sin and hope that you can get back later, right? That's wisdom. It's that kind of wisdom that Jesus was giving on the Sermon on the Mount, right? When he said, hey, he said something really hard. Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is Jesus sharing, and he's saying, hey, guys, if you want to follow me, I got some wisdom for you. And it is, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, take it out. Jesus was just giving me some wisdom. Distance yourself from the things that cause you to fall. That's wise. Amen? So God wants to give wisdom. And here's some other wisdom, verses 16 and 17. For you, God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. In other words, if I just do my religious thing, it doesn't make up for the fact that I blew it. But check this out. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Man, that's good news, right? That when you come to God in your contrition, when you come to your God in your godly sorrow, say, man, God, I blew it, that blesses him. That's the sacrifice, right? That's, that's what is needed. It's not the religious cover-up. It's the, uh, here I am, God, help me. This also reminds me of some words of Jesus. Again, referring to that Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? He said things like, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. You know, I, I, I used to, when I was a kid, I would just think, blessed are those who mourn. I would just think funeral, you know? But have you ever mourned over your own sin? Man, you're blessed because you'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Don't you get tired of your own unrighteousness? I sure do. I say, oh, God, I want to be made righteous. I want to be good. I don't want to just do good. I want to be good. And God was willing to do that by his spirit. This is how we get there. Broken and contrite heart, oh, God, you do not despise. When we come to him torn up over our sin, he's really good with that. That's wisdom. Amen? Okay, lastly, home stretch. Last thing he wants to do is, is uh, restoration. He wants to restore you, okay? God wants to restore. Everyone say restore. restore. Restoration. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring you back to his presence. He wants us to run into his presence, not run away from him. Yeah, let me just, on that too, let's just think about this. What is the devil's plan? And what does the devil like to do? Ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, he's trying to put a wedge between us and God. And so when condemnation becomes that wedge, you know, when we get frosty to God, because we may know, you know, theologically, yes, I know Jesus paid for my sin, I'm good. But in our hearts, if we're not warm and soft to him and willing and wanting to walk with him, then who's got the upper hand there? The devil, Satan, right? He's got the upper hand. So again, God's provided Psalm 51 to get that wedge between you and God out of the way so you run back into his presence get these needs met. You get forgiven. You get cleansed. You get wisdom. And now we get restoration. Amen? Isn't it great that the most verses are restoration? Thank you, God. Here we go. All right, let's look at verse 8. <laughs> God, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've broken rejoice. You know, just bring me back, Lord, please. Bring me back to being happy. <laughs> happy in your presence. I need you. 11, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Please, God, just don't leave me. You know, I need you. I want you. And of course, as believers, we know the Holy Spirit resides in us. He lives in us. 
Um, the writings of Paul indicate uh, that uh, we can quench the Holy Spirit and we can grieve him, but we're not in danger of him, you know, peacing out on us. He lives inside us. We do grieve him. We quench him, but he's going to stay with us. But this, this just reminds me of, um, again, back in Genesis, uh, Genesis 4, Adam and Eve, they're uh, living life. They have some children, Cain and Abel. And for whatever reason, God prefers Abel's sacrifice to Cain's. Cain kills Abel, his brother. And then God says, all right, your punishment, Cain, is that you're going to be a nomad forever. And what's Abel, uh, Cain's response? His response is, God, it's too much to bear that you're sending me away. It's too much to bear. Please, don't send me away from your presence. So I hear echoes of that in David here saying, God, please don't cast me away from your presence. You know, this is, only, this is one of two times in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God is referred to as the Holy Spirit. God, please don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. <clears throat> Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, bring me back. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Let me be willing again to obey. Let me not fold in my fight against sin, but let me keep being willing to obey. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You know, For me, that's not always a top motive when I'm in my repentance mode. I'm just saying, God, please don't, don't, uh, don't cast me away. You know? Lord, if you want, I can help other people along the way, but my main concern here is getting right with you. And then verse 15, oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Right, Lord, set me free again just to worship you. And then 18 and 19, these are really interesting and we'll end with these. As they're also the last uh, verses. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. What I love about this is this is the first moment. Right now it's been really God, you know, David and God have kind of been dealing with things right here. But here's the first moment where you see David kind of getting a realization how his sin affects other people. I think he recognizes as leader of Israel that his sin affects the country. And he's saying, God, please have mercy on Zion, right, this this area, this mountain, this uh, place in Jerusalem. Do, please do good here. Please build up our walls. Strengthen us again. In other words, again, I read into that. David recognizes our sin affects other people. And it just does. You know, when your soul gets polluted, you know, you, you have a domain that you operate in. Your family can feel it. Your coworkers can feel it. They might not have words for it. They might not have vocabulary for it. But the pollution comes out. And so here we hear David crying out, God, have mercy on me because I know that my sin affects other people. So please help me. Do good, I pray. And then, verse 19, then you'll delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. You know, then when I do my religious stuff, we'll be good because we're clean and I'm, we, we've made it. Amen? <laughs> so feels like a little bit of a downer. <laughs> but the whole, just please hear the redemptive heart of God is, he knows that you and I are dust, right? The, the Bible affirms you and I are dust, meaning that we always don't have great moral capacity to do the right thing all the time. So when we sin, A, he's provided, of course, ultimately, Jesus, the sacrifice. You know, he's given us this way to come to him. But in our day to day, I'm speaking to you mainly, most of you are those who follow Jesus regularly. And I want to say for you, God's provided Psalm 51. Another great one is Psalm 38. God's provided many ways for you to ramp back up into his presence so you stay warm and soft to him and don't be frosty and chilly 
because of guilt hanging on and shame hanging on. Amen? Is that a good word? Is that good news? Man, it's, I'm just so glad God's given us a little, little prayer book here called the Psalms. We can get back into his presence. Awesome. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's get the worship team back up here, and let's get to it. Don't delay. Experience some forgiveness, cleansing, wisdom, and restoration this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer team, guys who are usually on our prayer team, to come on up. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to each other, he's, uh, he's, he's willing to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So hey, if you need to get something off your chest, you do it. Whether it's with someone who's here with you or with one of our prayer people up here, just come and experience this on-ramp into his presence that God's given us. Amen?